right, welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, and a special guest, Joe Smith, who misunderstood he brought his bowling ball here to split rocks in Wyoming. Well, two games Minnesota. today. I was getting a little practice yeah. in for my potential league league bowl here whenever we get started. So, Anthony, I uh, brought Joe into the locker room today to meet all the, uh, a bunch of the players, and uh, he immediately gravitated toward Johnny Merrill, Michigan, Michigan grad, yeah. Michigan native like Joe Smith. And uh, the one thing that uh, you did not tell him is that you actually have a University of Michigan painted bowling ball. It is. Uh, I got it as actually a gift. Uh, so I was in a bowling league back in, in, in TMP, Tampa area. And I, uh, this other guy who's a really better bowler than I was, than I am, uh, had an extra ball. And they wanted to be Michigan when he knew I was a Michigan grad and all that stuff like that. And so he gave it to me. So it was my spare ball. And then I had a strike ball, or allegedly a strike ball, that uh, cracked because I left it in like my car over like a couple of days in, in Florida. Everything that's left overnight anywhere in the heat like cracks up. So we have the same problem in Minnesota. It's now my strike ball. So uh, strike and spare ball. But uh, <laughs> so yeah. hopefully we'll get it some practice here uh, in Minneapolis and St. Paul. It's some some different different lanes here. So this is by far the biggest crowd uh, that we've had here at Split Rocks up in Wyoming, and uh, it's clearly because everybody wanted to see Anthony. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you they know, showed up early that's to what see I him was too. Figuring right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, but it was hilarious watching Joe just like get out of the car and all of a sudden he's like dragging a bowling ball. And I'm like, I thought he was kidding that he was bringing his bowling ball. I didn't even see him put it in my I car. I drove it 1,600 miles to get here just yeah. to bowl tonight. Just basically. to bowl tonight. Yeah. He, voted, he bowled with the tree merts. Yeah. Nice. Um, How'd you do? I wish I bowled better than I did, but I had yeah. a lot of nines and spares. And then I, uh, some yeah, he splits. had like his last, uh, his last round there, he had like four in a row of nines and spare and a spare. I got like and 150 last very, game very like that. But so hopefully uh, we'll just stand back in for later on, hopefully. But. So uh, Joe Smith NHL, if you want to follow him on Twitter, he's going to be covering the wild and uh, NHL with me for the foreseeable future. Um, welcome to Minnesota, Joe. Uh, Joe is official today. As I mentioned, he uh, came down to uh, Tria Rink today just to meet everybody, uh, uh, get a gauge of that locker room. A little different than Brandon, Florida, right? It is. They, uh, you know, Quite a different view too. In Brandon, Florida, actually the, the rink for the Lightning, the Cup, the former Cup champions there. It's uh, a public rink, and so they have like free skates and like there's like Frozen playing in the background sometimes, and they'll have like laser tag going on. Like our media facility is basically like a table down, like a glass area you can watch the rink. But then there's like video games and pop a shot, and there's kids running around like crazy. So it's not quite the the working environment, but uh, but obviously it's uh, worked out okay. You know the last time, this is crazy, the last time that I was in that practice rink in Brandon, Florida, I was interviewing Rick Tockett, who was coaching the team at that time. About 10 That's years ago. Long, yeah, I mean, that it's is been a, long, a time. long time ago. Uh, so you can follow Joe. Thanks to everybody for coming to Split Rocks. Our next live show is at Elsie's, October 18th. Uh, Anthony LaPanta and me, that'll be between games three and four of this homestand that opens uh, tonight uh, Tonight, when this podcast comes out against the uh, New York Rangers. The Wild play the Colorado Avalanche, then the Vancouver Canucks a couple days later. So October 18th at Elsie's, come on out. Uh, between the Avalanche game and the Vancouver game. Uh, really good preseason, guys, for the Wild. 6-1 uh, and one preseason, Anthony. Uh, since the last time you and I talked, uh, the Wild uh, went down to Des Moines to have their, uh, their uh, very, very fun uh, uh, bonding trip. And, uh, man, they just seem geared up and ready to go just watching practice today. Sure do. It felt that way, really, from the start of camp. And as we talked earlier, I, I think the most important thing for this camp, the wins are nice, and maintaining the focus on finding a way to win every night and no BS, we're here to win, I, I think that's important. 
But the most important thing for this camp were a couple guys who had something to prove, proving that. And I think that was Tyson Jost, it was Sam Steele, it was Marco Rossi. They all had great camps. Not that it wasn't important for the other guys, but for those three guys, it was most important. And it was most important for the team to see that those three guys could elevate in the lineup as they were hoping they'd be able to show so that they didn't have to go out and fill a need in a, with a trade or a free agent pickup. So I think for that reason, the camp was a big success. And then the bonding trip to me is, it's indicative of what this team has. And we've talked a lot about team chemistry and team camaraderie, and sometimes it's hard to quantify it, and it's hard to tab it. But when you watch the way a team acts away from the rink, and when those things happen organically, like they did the previous week when they went and had a wiffle ball game at CHS Field on an yeah. afternoon off that the team had nothing to do with. Those are the kinds of times where you realize you really do have something special, a group of guys that truly does enjoy being around each other. Then when you get the organized ones, like this one in Des Moines, and the way you hear the stories and you see the pictures, that's not fake. You can't they had a golf tournament and every team had uniforms so that they, yeah. they had matching shirts. That kind of stuff is special, and it's a part of what made last year so special with this team was to watch that develop. Yeah, and, um, you know, it, it really is funny. Like, I was interviewing um, Zuccarello the other day for this uh, big Zuccarello and Kaprizov story that runs in The Athletic on Thursday. And, you know, the one thing that he is uncomfortable about with this bromance story is that he doesn't want to people to think that he's just buddies with Kaprizov. He's like, this is the relationship that we have with everybody in this locker room. And, and you see it all the time when we go on the road. It is no That's longer true. just and when clicks. You, when you talk to either one of those two guys, the first thing they yep. do is talk about Ryan Hartman, who's the third member of their exactly. line who sometimes gets overlooked. Everybody sees the numbers, and they see the passes between Kaprizov and Zuccarello, and that chemistry is legit. They're very quick to say, Hartsey's pretty damn good, too. No, and I will tell you, like, you know, I've been around here a long time, but I covered a good Tampa team for several years. And what I could tell you is that they won a championship a lot of because of the chemistry they had in the room. And you all of a sudden you went from clicks maybe in 17, 18 to all of a sudden when everybody went to dinner, everybody went together. It wasn't just yeah. the veteran Samco's McDonough, this place, and the rookies over here. It became a whole thing. It wasn't just a forced thing. Like, I have to go ask this guy to dinner with me. It was all together as a group. And they went, uh, God, in golf tournaments. And uh, it was like, you know, they grilled out with a trigger. Bogosian has a, a Traeger grill. He grilled everything else for that Easter. Like Anthony Sorelli was an Easter bunny one year. Like they had Easter, he dressed up as a bunny and like passed out to the kids. And so it became like a family atmosphere where really that paid off in the, in like the summertime when they were playing playoffs and they were f playing for each other, blocking shots, and they were just kind of sacrificing for one How another. How much of that do you think came? You were around John Cooper a lot, obviously more closely than anybody that didn't cover the team. Did that stem from him? Did that was his relationship with his staff? A part of that developing within the room? I think so. Like they were the, a, a, a more reclusive staff I've ever seen the last three or four years with John Cooper's staff. They made some changes and different guys came in or so, but that's been his MO since he started back in even in Norfolk. And they had like team dinner nights where players would be like Italian night or it'd be like check night. The guys would make check food for everybody else. And they'd go over somebody's house and do that. Um, and so that's what they did a lot of time there. They had a bowling league where everybody had dressed up in different costumes for that night. And so every bowling team had a bowling costume in Norfolk. And so that's kind of the culture they wanted to build where guys were having fun together and getting to know each other off the ice as people. And then that's something that's different. You can't do that same thing in the NHL. It's a little different. 
But it's more so the player-driven thing, which makes it really special, which I think the Wild are doing right now. Which we're player, not like the coaches telling them, hey, get together, guys, let's go play golf. It's them doing it themselves. Yeah. Well, and Michael, we've seen this develop with Dean Evason and his staff. They're incredibly tight. Yeah. And he's incredibly inclusive. And he's empowering to those guys where it isn't his power play. It's our power play. And different guys talk to the team different nights, different even within games and intermissions. Sometimes the adjustment speech is given by... Brett McLean or by Bob Woods, and they're tight together off the ice. They go play golf together. They hang together. And I think that just seeps through the room. And when the players see the coaches acting that way, it becomes natural for them. And I also think the underrated part of all this is the leadership of Jared Spurgeon, who, when he was named captain, was a little bit of a surprising choice to some. And a lot of people looked and said, you're going to have a captain that's five foot six and but that doesn't matter he is such a great leader and an inclusive leader inside that room he's not five six though because the other day i was talking <laughs> to him and he was and he was like even with me you know what was really well, disconcerting? I'm, I'm interviewing zuccarello the other day and he was barely looking up at me i'm like holy freaking crap am i shrinking as i get older here um you know why i laughed when you mentioned uh um uh Covering the lightning and and you know you're you kind of undersold it like oh I covered a couple uh, you know good teams. Um, Ryan Hartman, the first thing he says to you today when I introduced you is he's like well hopefully you could bring us some good luck you know and 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 I mean don't think the players aren't aware of the teams that uh, that uh, that Joe Smith came here. Um, back to Tyson Jost and Sam Steele. I had a great great conversation with Tyson Jost today. He is so at ease right now. Like he is entering this season unbelievably confident. I think he is so comfortable in his own skin and ready to break out. And then it was interesting. I was talking to Sam Steele and it's, it's, it is funny. Like all, a lot of wild fans all week have been tweeting me saying, you know, because I haven't been including that Steele made the team. And they're like, where's Steele? Did Steele make the team? And I'm like, I, I didn't even think that you should even mention that because they signed him as a free agent. So I go to Steele today and I go, uh, so where'd you settle in the Twin Cities? And he goes, oh, I'm still living in the hotel. And what that showed me is that even he kind of came into camp not sure of where his footing was. And he goes onto that line with Boldy and Goudreau and to this point has not given it up. He's looked great in practices, looked great in games. And and it'll be interesting to watching these two very important players and how they could fill in because they're going to need that this year. They will. I think it's going to be a five guys for four spots deal once Greenway's back. Yeah. And it'll be Jost and Steele with the three fourth liners. And it'll depend on who's playing the best, but it was Steele who got the first chance there. It wasn't yeah. a guarantee he was going to be there all camp. And in fact, I think if you really held the wild coaches to it, they might even admit we threw Steele there fully expecting that at some point he'd move down and yeah. Rossi might jump up and grab that spot. And it's not to say it won't yep. happen. It's also not to say Jost won't grab yeah. that spot when Greenway comes back. I think you'll see those five guys somehow, some way slotting yeah. into the four spot. Steele has shown great speed, which is more than what I expected from him. Yeah. He hasn't scored in the NHL yet to this point, and we'll see maybe both he and Jost benefit a little bit from better line mates, higher in the lineup, more ice time, yeah. that kind of thing. Well, somebody did tell me what you just said as a fact, is that they just figured, you know what, we're going to start Steele there, Rossi there, and at some point we're going to give Rossi a little time to get his footing, and then we're going to move him up when he's ready to soar. 
And Rossi obviously had his footing right from the start of camp, but what I don't think they expected was that Steele was also going to be just coming to camp ready to go. And, and why not just leave him of, there? As long yeah. as he's playing well, leave him yeah. there, let Rossi develop and settle in as a fourth-line guy that's also seeing power play time, so he isn't going to be your typical fourth-line guy. Why not just let him sit there a little bit, and then when things are a little more... Have, have slowed and stabilized for him a little bit, then you bump him up. Amazing yeah. what a fresh start can do for a player, too. Like, you have people that kind of peg you a certain way and label you as a certain kind of player, and then you maybe had some struggles, like at Anaheim, and all of a sudden you come in here with a fresh set of coaching staff, fresh set of eyes, and all of a sudden your confidence picks up. And it had to pick up when the way he played in camp and preseason. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, maybe I'm that player I was, maybe not in junior when you score so many points, but, like, you can be that player and complement these other guys and, and be the guy that people want you to be. And it helps when you're thrown on a line where a guy like Matt Boldy's on your wing. Yeah. Or for Tyson Jones where you're playing with Eric Sinek and Felino, where it's, hey, these guys are going to make your life easy. They're going to make you look good as long as you just do your job. Yeah, Steele um, said the other day that he thought it was time, that he needed a, a change. And, and I think he saw that coming. New, new GM there, new front office there, not getting a lot of traction there, suddenly getting limited ice time there. And I think that this is the best thing that could have happened. Sometimes you have to have your eyes open, too. You were a first-round pick. You just expected, and I don't know Sam very well, so I'm not saying that this is true with him, but with a lot of guys, you just expect it to continue the way it's always been. You've always been the best player on your Mm -hmm. team. You've always been scoring. You've always been the power play guy, the top-line guy. And now, all of a sudden, things are a little more difficult. And sometimes it takes an eye-opening, like, here, there's the door, and let's see what happens. I've also talked to a few people in evaluation positions on other teams who say, we always say, you can't give up on a guy till he's 23. Because you remember how young these guys really are when they get drafted. And anybody who's a parent, think about having an 18-year-old. I've, I've had a couple sons who have passed, since passed 18, but I can't imagine when they were 18 Just because these guys got drafted, it doesn't change that they're 18 years old. And it doesn't change that they're 19 or 20 and 21. Until you get to that point, it's really hard to know exactly how a guy is going to mature physically and mentally. I remember even Victor Hedman had some struggles when he was early in the league, and he was a number two overall pick. And like he was going, in, he was a teenager coming from a different country and like learning the language and coming here and playing 20 minutes for a team, and then all of a sudden. It took like three, four years for him. He didn't just become a Norris winner. You had to kind of work into that. And so, and every player is different. Everybody, not everybody's that elite, but everybody has that same arc where they need to kind of find themselves. You know what impressed me too about the leadership of this team and uh, with the veterans is that so many of these guys came ready to play in these exhibition games. I mean, you and I have covered this team a long time, Anthony. We have seen the veterans on this team sleepwalk through games, get out of passing lanes, get out of shooting lanes, not want to stop a puck, and, you know, not show for games, go 50%. And we've seen Zuccarello and Dumba and Brodine and Felino and Spurgeon and these guys, obviously Kaprizov, they have Hartman. They all are, like, playing these exhibition games like they were actually regular season games. And that goes back to what I said earlier, where the wins are nice. They're not necessary, but I just think this team has had this kind of mentality that it doesn't matter if they're playing an exhibition game, a regular season game, a bocce ball match, a golf tournament, they're wired to try to win. And when they step on the ice, this is the way we play the game. We play at this pace. We play with this intensity. We play with this kind of attention to detail. And that's it. There's no, there's no other way around that. And I think the veterans set the tone for that. But I even think just how many games these guys played. Think of how many 
preseason schedules you went through where the veteran guys never took a trip. And it would be the third and fourth line and then a, a couple lines worth like of minor guys that are guys. like veteran guys to go and make a trip, right? And that's it, it. Yeah. right. And now this year it was Zuccarello's on the road and we, we saw yeah, just like, about everybody. Spurgeon was on a couple yeah, road like trips. That game in Dallas when I saw Zuccarello and the Spurgeon getting, like, heading to the airport, I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? Like, remember, that but, but never just, happened. But I mean, even so when Dallas came here the other day on the last exhibition game, Suter didn't come on the trip. Right. You know? Now, they had most of their team. It was yeah. just Suter and Robertson who didn't come, but that's exactly the point is – I don't remember Suter ever playing a he road game. He never played a road game here. that I know of, except for in Des Moines when the team is trying to showcase their team. And I think this just comes from the top, where it's Billy's matter of fact. I've yeah. loved so many of the conversations I've had with him during camp where it's been, yeah, you got all these guys that had career years, big deal, do it again. Yeah. The team posted this many points, and that's the most, well, big deal, do it again. Yeah. And that's, that's just the way he approached Look, I don't care. We need these guys to get ready. You're playing four games, and if two well, of them are on the road, even, they're on the yeah, road. Like even stuff like like Flurry playing the first exhibition game, going to Milwaukee, flying to St. Louis to just sit on the bench. I mean, that stuff never happened. And that, I think that comes from yeah. the top where you yeah. say, we're all in this together, yeah. and if your actions follow your words, then you got something special. Now, the biggest question is, what is what does this does this have a cause and effect? Because like when I was at the NHL car wash, I said this on the Athletic Hockey Show today, like, it was interesting listening to Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid, all right? One went to the conference final last year, got very humbled by the Colorado Avalanche, and made it very clear that's not acceptable, and we have a long way to go to take that next step in the Oilers. Austin Matthews, same thing, against the Lightning, they blow that lead, and he had the same, it was the same type of, of, of react, almost same words that, that, that Connor McDavid had, but a different, obviously, point in that Maple Leafs lineup, that it's time. And from this standpoint, that's what I recognize in this locker room. When you talk to Zuccarello, Spurgeon, Felino, they are sick and tired of what happened in that playoff run last year against the St. Louis Blues. This, the, it's not even the constant first-round exits anymore. It's the way that, that series transpired. There's a lot of guys in that locker room that are disappointed in themselves on how they were up 2-1 in that series, and really, other than Kaprizov, guys did not show up. I think what will be interesting is to see if, that's the first playoff series they've lost in that fashion. Right. They, most of them, the other team's been the better team. They lost to St. Louis the year Mike Yo was in St. Louis where they got, it was a major upset and the goaltender stole it from them. And that one to me is still the one that out of all of the playoff losses for Minnesota, that's the one about which they should be embarrassed. All the other ones, the other team was probably the better team. This one with St. Louis, I don't say the Blues were better, they were probably about even, but Minnesota had them. They had them and let them off the hook. And it then, I still think it all goes back to that fourth game in St. Louis where, number one, the Blues were all beat up, didn't have many of their defensemen, and the Wild didn't play the game the same way they had played games two and three. And then I think Craig Berube deserves a lot of credit. He said, we're down 2-1. What I've been doing isn't working. He blew up his lines. He changed his goaltender and said, why wait till I'm down 3-1? So I think those two things happening is why those guys are feeling that way. But I think what will be interesting to watch is if it has the same effect on the Wild that Tampa's loss to Columbus had on Tampa. And I was talking with Dean Evason last week, and he said, if you look at a lot of teams that have ended up winning, a lot of them had a loss that was a mental change for them, a game changer mentally for them. And he talked about Tampa, and he said, look at what happened. Those guys got beat in that series, 
and then it's been different ever since. Well, it was, what, 11 series in a row they yeah. won until last year. Maybe this will have that kind of an effect on a wild room. Well, absolutely. And for Tampa's sake, too, like, that was humbling. That was embarrassing. That's up when something embarrasses you to your core, it forces change, right? And even Stamkos wasn't the leader then as he is now. And he's like, I had to learn the hard way. I had to do things the right way. I had to block shots. I had things that I didn't want to do before. It was an easy thing to do. We all had to kind of buy in and do those things. But you had to take kind of a humbling loss like that to kind of forge them bring them against the world attitude, like, okay, well, we got, everyone in the whole hockey, league, hockey world is, like, laughing at us because we lost to Columbus in four games. We won 62 games in season. This was a special year. This is our year. This is our time, and we didn't do it. And so now I think they've learned those lessons. It, and so well, I think what happened, though, it, that series where it has similarities to the Wild is within game one. That it was a four-goal lead, right, in it game was, one? It was, Kucherov had a chance right in front of Bobrovsky to make it four nothing in the first. So it was three goal lead. Yeah, three goal lead. And, and but it was it felt like they were ahead seven games to nothing at yeah. that point watching the game. And it was a team that won sixty two games up three goals. This is going to be a cakewalk. And all of a sudden they took their foot off the gas. Columbus wins that game and then wins the next three. They did, and it was that one save by Bobrovsky where he kind of flipped the, the switch for them, and Columbus won, and then all of a sudden the Lightning were like, okay, we're going to be stubborn. We're going to do what we did all year and think it's going to work, and it didn't. They tried to go through the neutral zone, and Columbus was like, no, you're not getting there. And they tried. They, they started to be stubborn and didn't want to change their ways, and they went from the greatest show on ice, supposedly, to now a team that can go win in different ways and find different ways in the playoffs to win, which is so much different than the regular season. I was flying back to New York City um, with Joe during the Eastern Conference Final, and he was on the phone with John Tortorella in the um – in the in the airport, and he wrote the story where John said, you know, they, that I think we created a monster in the Lightning, and um, and that story not only that's when I knew that Joe had to come to Minnesota <laughs> because all of a sudden that's the headline, and John Cooper saying, yeah, I agree with uh, John Tortorella that we created a monster, and all these players and Chris saying, Chris like, 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 monster, I'm like, like <laughs> holy ish, people are reading Joe like Smith like that are actually on the coaching staff and the GMs. That never happens in Minnesota. So well, they, get claim, they, they claim they don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, all, they claim they don't listen to the broadcast. I don't read Do anything you, know, you guys there was, write. There was one story. Oh, it was the Cam Talbot uh, going after Dean story where I like actually wrote a thing basically. It was, it was Kelly Talbot going after Dean and and basically where I tried to explain what Dean meant by the whole, uh, the, it's an easy decision. Easy decision. And um, it was actually, Dean. Dean's like, it's the only story I've ever read of yours because my wife's like, you got to read it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I actually believe him on that. I'm willing to bet my life that Dean has read one story of mine his entire time. I think he's read more than one. Yeah, well, maybe people are just telling me, see what Russo wrote today? Um, by the way, again, we have a, uh, a microphone right in front of Anthony. I know Anthony sometimes needs two mics, but that actually is for you. I don't need any. Um, so uh, if you want to come up, ask a question to Joe, Anthony, or myself, preferably Joe, um, come on up and you get uh, put in a raffle ticket here. We're going to give away stuff here from uh, Grain Belt, uh, a couple shell signs as well. So uh, feel free, come on up. You don't have to be uh, asked and invited up. Just come on up. We have a bunch of people here again. October 18th is our next uh, live show. Um, let's talk uh, goaltending right now. I mean, I, you know, that was a good sign. There was a lot of concern coming into camp. And again, I know that it's preseason. But look, Flower didn't give, he gave up one goal in the preseason, and he played a very representative Dallas Stars lineup in the season in the preseason finale. That again didn't have Jason Robertson, which is no slouch, obviously. But that was really the only player other than Suter that didn't make the trip. And Gustafson was good. You know, there were times, obviously, where he gave up goals. But you look at that game in Colorado. You look at that game in Dallas. 
where Gustafson, both those games could have gone absolutely haywire and the Wild couldn't have won them unless Gustafson was, uh, really stood on his head, to use a horrendous hockey cliche. Um, but he, you know what? I think Their he was good, was, but it's was, still a question mark. Yeah. And you still have a backup and a number three, meaning Zane McIntyre, who are largely unproven in the NHL. Yes. And you couple that with a starting goaltender who's 37, and I think it's there's reason to be at least... Skeptical is the wrong word, but cautious. If Fleury stays healthy and can play 55 games, I think they'll be just fine. But you do have a backup who's got 27 games of NHL experience. You've got a number three in Iowa who has even less. And I think that's something that you'll have to watch over the course of the year. Fleury is about as young a 37 as you could possibly find. And happy and great shape and still smiles around the room and a great influence inside the room, but he is 37. And so on one hand, you look and you say, you got to remind ourselves he's two years removed from a Vesna, which is crazy when you think about it. I don't think anybody even talks that way. I was watching the Rangers play the Lightning last night and the whole conversation all night, and justifiably so, is Shesterkin against Vasilevsky. Well, I know on our broadcast we'll be mentioning that Shesterkin and Fleury are the last two Vesna winners when we go on the air tomorrow night. But I don't think a lot of other people are looking at Fleury as the guy that was the 2021 Vesna winner. That's only two years ago. Don't ask Kucherov about that one, actually. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I think I'm curious what the actual split will be. And like, do you think 55 is a reasonable number for Fleury? Yeah, like, I, I don't think know. it's probably 55-25-ish mm-hmm. in that neighborhood. And you know, like every, originally. Uh, Billy kind of said 50-32, but, but definitely they've walked that back. I think it's yeah. going to be based on how they so, play, yeah, schedule, Somewhere in like between that, that and yep. where you are in the standings, yep. how desperate you are for wins down the stretch. And they'll be watching it closely, but there's a part of me that looks at Flurry and says, I really would be surprised if we were talking about a guy where fatigue was a factor. Yeah. It, he just doesn't look like a guy that is likely to run out of gas. But we'll have to wait and see how the, how the grind of the schedule and and it's, I mean, it is a grind. And when you're going every other night with a lot of travel, that takes its toll on everybody. It's going to be hard for Joe to get used to actually two goalies to cover. Usually he only <laughs> has to worry about one. Hey, Brian Elliott had a hell of a year last year, right? Yeah, like exactly. camp, but in those 25, 30 starts that Gustafson will have are really important, right? You look at the, the division they, they have, have in the playoff right. race. They have to be wins. They, they can't to, just be starts. More than half, they have to be wins. And so those points all add up at the end where they're chasing things and they're, they're not expected to win the division, right? They're expected to be number one or number two. But those points that add up at, in make sure that you don't put pressure on that Flurry to make them start Flurry eight straight in a row at the end of the season to make the playoffs. Yeah, and I think if, just imagine, let's just say that the Talbot trade hadn't been made, and now your two, three are Talbot and McIntyre. Well, now you feel a lot different. Because if one guy goes down, more than willing to, if it's, let's say it's even a guy who's out for a month, well, if we need to bring McIntyre up here, be the backup, play three games, that's fine. But now if, let's say, your starter goes down for a month, and now you got a whole month worth of Gustafson and McIntyre combined, I think they're both fine as a, as a fill-in type guy, but can you lean on them in those settings? And so that's, I, just, I have a little caution when I head into the season with those guys as the 2-3. With that, you do have cap space. So if something happens yeah. that's long-term, and if I'm Billy, I might be keeping that in my back pocket, and that goes back to how important it was for Steele, Jost, and Rossi to have good camps so you didn't have to overreact, yeah. use up that space now, and that's exactly keep what it in your thinking. back pocket, yep. and just in case a goaltender becomes the most pressing need, 
let's just say one guy goes down and maybe Gustafson isn't as good as you're hoping he's going to be, you've got the flexibility to make a move. could always pick, uh, pick up Jonas uh, Johansson off waivers. Oh, everyone God. else has. Yeah, everybody yeah. else has. Colorado just keeps on getting them. I've never seen a goalie that's so bad that's just, like, bouncing around the league. Like, oh, yeah, I'll grab him. And then they, like, oh, we'll throw him out and wait for um, Hopefully everybody read my uh, flurry story uh, yesterday. It was a fun story to write. Um, Pavel Novak was in today's Athletic, and then tomorrow uh, will be the uh, big Kaprizov Zuccarello story. I was shooting the breeze with, uh, with uh, you know what I love about Flurry? I was shooting the breeze with him today, and he's such a hockey fan. Like, I asked him, like, like you know, like, when I covered Bure, he, he would sometimes ask me, like, is that uh, the team we playing tonight good? I'm like, uh, yeah, they've got, like, 150 points. Um, like, Flurry like, watched the Lightning. Uh, like, he's like, I really watched the shooters, the goalies. Like, he watched every minute of that Lightning uh, Rangers game, everything. Um, but I did want to tell you about um, Aquarius Home Services, and I'm just proud to share that my friends at Aquarius Home Services have received the Minnesota Best Gold Award by the Minneapolis Star Tribune, my old stomping grounds. You voted them the top home services company in heating and cooling, plumbing, electrical, and water treatment systems. I've worked with Aquarius and know firsthand how they always put their customers first and work hard every day to earn the right to be recommended. That's why I recommend them every single week on this show. They treat you, your home, and time with respect. Congratulations to the entire team at Aquarius Home Services. And if you have any questions or concerns about your water, heating, cooling, plumbing, or electrical, they're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention that Russo sent you, and here's a word from Royal Credit Union. Take the checking account challenge from Royal Credit Union. Compare your checking account to Royal and see why it makes sense to switch. Royal's checking accounts have no hidden fees and lots of free features that make it easy to stay on top of your money. You can deposit checks with Royal's mobile app, receive real-time notifications when transactions happen, and even freeze your debit card in seconds. See what other features you're missing out on and make the switch to a Royal checking account at rcu.org slash Royal Challenge, insured by NCUA. When you're hosting a good dinner, you got to start with the best ingredients. And for that, I always go to Kowalski's. We just had a tremendous send-off dinner for Gianni and Zach, who are making the move to the East Coast, to Connecticut, the New York area for a new step in their life. So we decided let's have a send off dinner, went to the store and came back with their new, we've talked about them a couple times, these 40 day aged USDA prime steaks. We went with the strips that night and they never disappointed right now. Margo's throwing together a little stir fry for us for dinner. When the podcast is over, stopped and picked up seafood and the ingredients for a stir fry. No matter what you're making, you can count on Kowalski's. And in fact, the Kowalski's in my neighborhood here in Shoreview, now just recently added a protein smoothie shake bar, wow. which is outstanding. I tried one the other day, and they're terrific. So if you're entertaining, trust Kowalski's. The best ingredients create the best meals, and you can count on those guys. Paul, question. Hello. Are you going to sing the national anthem? No. Okay. I'm not going to do any of that. It seems That's... like a very theatrical yeah. introduction That's... here. Well, I didn't want to meet everyone's way. Yeah. I was. I like that you were up here, walked back, and then came yeah. up here with the mic. To like, I was in front of everybody. Does everybody recognize Paul, by the way, from our wild uh, Twitter gifts and uh, Talk North gifts and everything? Uh, thank you very much. You're the T-shirt guy. No, I am not the T-shirt oh, okay. guy. Sorry. Don't don't go down that road. So, a question that I think a lot of people, it's a lot of feedback on Twitter about Rossi being on the fourth line, and what doesn't I, matter. What I don't think it does either. And so I was asking you guys is. How is that going to change the dynamic of how teams have to play us? Because we don't have a prototypical fourth line that you see throughout the league. 
I, there aren't very many prototypical fourth lines anymore. When you look I around the league, that. they're not built that way anymore. It isn't a spot for, you know, Old and slow I don't guys mean this to in. insult my partner, but it, it's not a place where Ryan Carter's of the world land anymore. What? I mean, it's not. It, it just isn't. And he and I have talked about this. It isn't a place for those guys anymore. Teams can't. They ha- It's mostly younger guys, especially in the cap world. They're trying to – they need a few guys that are – down on those entry-level deals, but it's also, more often than not, it's speed guys. And there are exceptions, the Rangers with Ryan Reeves on their fourth line, but it's a line that can skate. I think it's more teams that just, it's a place where guys are trying to, they might have a young guy like this, and I think the way Rossi's going to be eased into this lineup is, he's yes, he's on a fourth line, but he's playing with two other young guys who can skate, who have shown they have more skill than perhaps advertised. I'm talking about Duhame and Dewar. And then he's going to be on the power play and might be on the penalty kill. So we'll see him for a lot more minutes than your normal fourth liner. And it won't be, won't be permanent either. If he plays yeah. his way out of that fourth line role, you don't want to ask Dean what line he's right. on, right? You can ask Dean, like, fourth line, third line, he'll And the best thing for him is not to – I know, Michael, you talked to him this summer, and he talked about, I don't want to have any extra pressure. I don't want my family here. Well, there is no pressure when you're yeah. that guy. I mean, there's pressure, but not like there would be if you were centering Kaprizov and Zuccarello. So instead of thrusting a guy into that spot, let him earn his way up. And as we were talking earlier about the youth of these guys, he's 20. So let's wait and see what happens. If he's still there when he's 23, then we have a story. Question. All right, so we have a lot of good skilled defensemen on the back line there, but do you think we need to make a move through the year to get bigger on the back end to actually make a move in the playoffs? I mean, the question is, who do you replace to get bigger, right? I mean, this is the blue line that they created, right? Uh, you know, Goligoski and Sp- like Spurgeon's going nowhere. Brodine's going nowhere. If they're good, Dumba's going nowhere. Addison has obviously made the team. I mean, maybe that's a move that if you have to upgrade, you just say, all right, we're going to forego that skill with a bigger guy. Middleton hopefully brings that. So I see what you're saying. I've, I've, I've seen a lot of that criticism. They're definitely a, a you know, they're not a, they're, they're a mobile blue line, but not a, Physical blue line. I mean, even Middleton, I wouldn't say, is a rugged guy. The hope is that maybe John Merrill, when he comes into the lineup, is going to bring that. Um, you know, that, that is something that they are going to have to look at this season and see how they're playing. Um, if, if it's not a problem, they won't make a move. If it is a problem, they'll address it. I mean, the one thing that I do, I would assume that we're going to see at some time is some sort of addition to bring in ruggedness just because this is largely the same team that Bill Guerin felt they needed to add Delorier to last year, and Delorier is obviously not here this year. So maybe there's something that he's going to recognize midseason that this is an area that he's going to have to upgrade. Here's one thing I'd just throw out, and I had the same discussion with Wes Walls this morning, and we were talking about the defensive core. And there's more than one way to be great defensively. If you, don't, if you move the puck so well that you don't spend a lot of time in your own zone, you don't have to be as rugged. And when Spurgeon played with Goligoski last year, for about half the year they played together, they were number two in the league in goals for percentage when they were on the ice among all defensive pairs in the NHL. I think Wild fans have so, forgotten that, by the way. Right, like they're, yeah. they're, so, Wild fans are like, why are they going back to this right. awful defense pair? Like, did Goligoski in the first great. half of the season was outstanding. And what they're going to have to do is manage this a little better and give him some nights off so what happened to him in the second half doesn't happen again. Right. Well, and that's, that's where I was going to finish with it is now when John Merrill comes back, you add Merrill to the defensive core and maybe Middleton's there with Spurgeon sometimes and that makes you a little bigger. Merrill replacing Goligoski makes yeah. you a little more sturdy. But 
when you move the puck as well as they do, you potentially don't have to be as rugged. And so this is what I asked Wes. I said, can you win in the postseason with this? And he said, the only thing I, that concerns me about that, and I'll, I, I think I'm fair to share his thoughts, is he said, you're playing against teams that are playing harder at that point in the season. That's why it always feels like you have to be bigger defensively. It isn't because they're any bigger. It's just that they're playing with more tenacity in the playoffs. So I think the question is a fair one because yeah. you're looking at that point. But over the course of the season, it's hard to argue with what they did with skating defensemen that lacked size a year ago. I, I think they'll do great during the regular season with the group that they have. But when you play. get to the playoffs, it's a different story. And you Sometimes, need to be more physical. But I don't know why don't, you have to be more we, physical. We don't have it. You know? yeah, so maybe. do you, you know, move Dumba? Do you do something with one of those guys that's a great talent? But do that to get more physical on that back end to keep well, them Well, I mean, out. again, it depends on what depends you're getting. I mean, playing, like, like, do you really want to trade Matt Dumba for Erica Branson or something? You know what I mean? Like, I'm just making a name up. Like, the player's got to be able to play. He's got, if you're going to have skate a physical too. guy, escape too. Right. And, and so like, like I get what you're saying, but he's still going to be a guy. Most likely if you're getting bigger and more physical, it's still a guy that's going to play 12 minutes a night, 15 minutes a night on your third pair and you're downgrading well, in other it, areas. So, so much I mean, depends look, on who your yeah. opponent is too. Yeah. If you're facing the blues of four years mm -hmm. ago where they were built on size and strength, yep. maybe you need to be more rugged. If you're playing the blues from last year where they're built more on skating and speed, now you need to be smaller and quicker. And that might have been part of the matchup problem the Wild had last year is they went in thinking we've got to get bigger and more rugged, and the Blues were not a big rugged team anymore. They yeah. were more a speed-based skill team. Yeah, and they basically let Delorier play on one foot when he probably shouldn't have been in the lineup. Just because they acquired him, they played him. That, you know what that reminds me of when the Wild in 2008 acquired Chris Simon and Todd Fedorik. Like, we, oh, we got... We were at our ass kicked against Anaheim the year before, so we got a bigger and tougher, and they put these guys in, and they took players that should have been in the lineup out, and what did the Avalanche do? They upset them after they won their only division title in franchise history. Question. Yeah, two questions. One, based on kind of a tweet you said, you were, uh, I remember seeing something you said about the Dallas-Colorado game on TNT where you said, gosh, it really seems to be a fast pace for a preseason game. I noticed that a lot this preseason, too, where, I mean, you expect it out of the AHL guys, right? They're trying to show out, trying to make the team, the bubble guys. But it seemed like there was a really good pace to the last couple yeah. of preseason games. And then second question, kind of based off what you said about guys like Yost and Steele, do you see them as guys that are going to stay here beyond this year? Um, or do you see if maybe they show out or maybe use them as a bargaining chip for potential trades for uh, you know, maybe trade deadline stuff if they show up, being what we have in, the, in Iowa. Well, we'll have to see how they both play. I mean, they're obviously each have one year left on their deal, RFAs. Um, you know, I think that's a subject that, that they'll have to decide after this season. In terms of that, you know, I, it's, it's funny. So the Wild, uh, they had Wes McCauley work the game the day after that, that, that uh, Dallas, or, uh, Dallas, Colorado game. And uh, I, said the same, I said the same thing to him that I tweeted, and he's like, it was pretty unreal. And, and Dallas did not bring their real lineup to that game, and they just were fast. We had Jim Nill, and I said the same thing to him at, at dinner the other night, the GM of the Stars. Um, I think it's impressive. I think that maybe that is just sort of this new league where guys are, are, you know, even the veterans are coming. I mean, that game, 
it was not just the Dallas players that had no that weren't established that were really good. It was big name guys. Horror. It was it was McKinnon. Was there unreal. were exceptions to this because yeah. before we went to Milwaukee to watch the Wild play the Blackhawks, I watched the Hawks play the Red Wings oh, the yeah. night before. Well, I watched the Hawks play and in Milwaukee. That, and that was, was as brutal a preseason yeah. hockey game as I've ever watched. Well, how about just when we were in Milwaukee? That was that was a that was that terrible was, effort. Yeah. By watching them all year yeah. would be pretty pretty yeah. tough to watch anyway, be. no matter what the regular season. Yeah. Question. And by the way, if you have any questions for Mr. Smith over here, um, he's the resident um, reporter in this building that actually has covered long playoff runs. So, Joe, as someone who hasn't covered this team for yes. 20 years, uh, what's your perception of the Minnesota Wild as an organization? And uh, how about the how fan gonna... base? How about the fan base? That too, I suppose. Well, the, Just the fan base has really been passionate and intense and very welcoming. You know, from my intro stories and a lot of stuff, and in Twitter and. Uh, a lot of suggestions on places to go. My head's spinning now on what places to go in, like the old North Loop or the Northeast or stay out of this place or don't go to this place or <laughs> stay away from Russo or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the view... I echo I, that's yeah. that advice. Absolutely. I think I might heed that after a couple more coffees there. But um, I think the view... I was so angry at LaPanta this morning. I was testing him like, like rapid fire at 6 a.m. Like you it woke up to my text. It was pretty early yeah. for a lot of critiquing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But, uh, you know, obviously uh, in the other conference, you don't see them maybe once a year. I mean, you watch them on TV. But I think overall, when you look at the kind of talent that they have, the young players coming up, I think there is a team that's you know, capable of taking that next step. And you mentioned the, the culture, the guys coming together, and, like, a lot of that stuff does matter. You know, health does matter. Like, you know, good fortune bounces does matter, do matter. But I do see a team that has kind of the pieces that can make a little bit more of a run that they've had the previous couple of years. And so um, the view from the outside, you know, they weren't seen as maybe the cup contender every year, but I think all it takes is one run to kind of get that confidence and the belief and that, like, okay, this is no longer a kind of a snake-bitten organization where we go one and done or this or this. It takes one round to get that feeling of, like Toronto might have eventually, is like, hey, let's get over this. Let's win the round. Let's, we believe we can do it. It doesn't have to be every single guy as a superstar, but it's guys that believe and, and play as a team to do it. So uh, they're a fun team to watch. I love watching that you know, top line with uh, you know, Hartman and Zuccarello and Kaprizov. I covered a very talented Russian player for a long time in Tampa, and he's a big, big fan of uh, Kaprizov and for a good reason. So I'm looking forward to just getting to see, watch the little details up close in practice and games to see what happens. Yeah. Question. Hey, guys. My first time being at a live show. Thanks Welcome, Joe. Thank you very much. Glad, glad to have you here. Did you go to University of Vermont? I did not. Okay. Uh, it's just a comfortable sweatshirt. There you go. <laughs> but, Do you know their nickname? The Catamounts? Catamounts, yeah. 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 I visited there once, so I'm not completely... Why are you saying Louis there? <laughs> but uh, my question is, Leopard can't change its spots. Yeah. What did you... Uh, your perception on the uh, LA Kings debut from... <laughs> yeah. Man, Kevin you Fiat. picked up on it. Uh, Joe is... Uh, Joe is... Uh, we watched um, both the Ranger and the Lightning hey. game uh, together yesterday. The Vegas game. Well, that was the and, same game. And then the Vegas and the LA Kings game back-to-back. Yep. And, um, and I tweeted that just randomly out of the blue, and Joe's like, does that have to do with Fiala? I'm like, yes. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just, uh, look, I, I, I actually, I mean, look, the last thing I've said to Kevin Fiala when he walked out of that last press conference is I, looked, I said, you're a hell of a player, and I truly believe that. Um, he is an unbelievable hockey player. He is going to change the complexion of that L.A. Kings game, but he's got some warts that used to drive Dean Evison absolutely bat crap crazy, that is going to, trust me, do the same thing to Todd McClellan, and he showed it yesterday. And I knew it was going to happen. Period and a half in the game, he's not getting scoring chances, he builds, his frustration gets to an unbelievable level, and then he eventually will do something 
really, really dumb. And what does he do? He's on a power play. They have a chance to take a 2-1 lead. He turns the puck over at the offensive blue line, and he's upset that he did that, and he elbows a guy in the face, and now he's sent to the box, off at, offsets the penalty, and next thing you know, it's 2-1 Vegas. Now, it wound up not killing them because then he come back the same line and, he, and that line, and he made a great play on that goal. He didn't get a point, but he made a great play. They tie the game. They eventually lose the game. Not his fault, but, but that's the type of thing that he's got to get out of his game. And we were listening to a podcast with him today on 32 Thoughts um, where he basically was really raving about Kaprizov, and what he likes about him is that he's so mentally strong that he could have 10 scoring chances in a game and he doesn't get upset, and you just know eventually he's going to score. And, and the one thing that Fiala said on that podcast is that he's so mentally strong. And I think what Fiala was also saying is that I need to be mentally stronger. And that is just something that he's going to have to do. But um, look, uh, you know, there's just certain warts in a lot of players' games. You know, I've covered skilled players all the time, and that they're high-risk, high-reward players, and they're going to turn pucks over and things like that. But what he needs to get out of his game are the bad penalties after those turnovers, and he does it all the time. And it just needs to stop. So, like, uh, you know, look, he's going to change. That LA Kings team is a good team. They are going to make the playoffs, I think. Um, you know, uh, I mean, if, I was talking to Flurry today about Jonathan Quick and how he's just absolutely looks like the Quick from, like we were talking about Quick last year and how, it, like, two years ago they give Cal Peterson the big contract and you think that, all right, his... This is the, sort of the beginning of the end of Jonathan Quick, and what happens last year is Quick reinvigorates himself, and he so far looks like... They've been trying to give that job yeah. to Cal Peterson for two years, yep. and even this year there was a lot of talk about they wanted it to be 60-40. This is Quick's last year of his contract, and yet Quick's the opening night starter. I think it's going to come down to those two teams we watched last night to be the third playoff yeah. team out of the Pacific Division, either the Kings or the Golden Knights. I, I think they're on the right track. They're up and coming. What was it? Two years ago, I think they had, three years ago, I think they had nine players in the World Junior Tournament, and then last year they had eight more. They've got a, they have got a boatload of young prospects on their way, and I think Fiala changes them. I do, because what they were lacking was an electric Speed score. Speed and scoring, yep. And now they've got it. And, I, they, and, they, yeah, and you add it with, like, Kempe. Right, I, I like Kempe a yep. lot. Yep. Um, Anthony, how do you think that Bat Boldy is going to respond without Fiala? I think he's going to be just fine. I thought... Billy Guerin's quote right after the deal was interesting because he said, yes, Kevin Fiala made Matt Boldy better, but Matt Boldy also made Kevin Fiala better. And if you remember, Fiala was really struggling until Boldy arrived. I did look up some numbers, and we'll have them in our broadcast tomorrow night. The, they're not quite... So we, looked at, we compared the numbers of the two of them together, Fiala without Boldy, Boldy without Fiala. And by every metric, Fiala without Boldy was better than Boldy without Fiala. So that would tell you that Fiala helped Boldy a little bit more by definition. But the numbers were better when they were together for both of them in all categories. So I think Boldy will be just fine, especially when I think we all expect not too far down the road Marco Rossi might be the guy on that line. Yeah. And maybe it's Rossi and it's still Gaudreau and Boldy. Maybe it's Rossi Jost and we don't know yeah. for sure. But I think at some point we'll see Rossi and yeah. Boldy together for extended yeah. stretches. And I think yeah. Boldy's going to be just fine. I think Fiala gets a lot of shade thrown at him by even people in the organization that just assume that Boldy always was the line driver. And the reality is, is that Kevin Fiala performed a long time in Minnesota without any adequate line mates. 
And that's just a fact. And I think that was part of his frustration yes, here. Yes, 100%. And, and rightfully so. It, yes, there were the turnovers, and it always seemed like there was a little more attention drawn to his turnovers than turnovers by other guys in the lineup. And But then there was the added part where it's, He's watching Kirill Kaprizov, and, and those two guys were clearly the two most gifted goal scorers the team had. Kaprizov's playing with Zuccarello every night, and Fiala's looking at his line saying, I'm playing with Freddie Gaudreau, who had a great year, but going into last year had like 12 career points. And then whoever on the other wing was Throwing whoever they were just trying to figure out, hey, let's just throw somebody in there. I know that the Wild all along were thinking Boldy was the guy that was going to land there, but he got hurt in the last preseason game. He got hurt again before he got called up. And I think they were just biding their time knowing it was going to be Boldy, but Fiala doesn't know that. So he's every night looking at the lineup saying, well, I sure would like to have another guy in my line who could make a play. And he felt like, I talked to him about it one time in the middle of the season, and he, just, he said, you know, I, I feel like I have to make every play. And when you watched it, there was a, I forget what site counts individual scoring chances created, high danger chances Central created. Central Satrick, maybe like that? It or could yeah, be I think one of them. I don't, rem- I don't I think it was a different one, but maybe okay. it is. And the bottom line is, for how many high danger chances he had, it was like 84% of them had been created by himself. And whereas you looked at Kaprizov, it was like 30% were created by himself. And which, think about that for a minute. So if Kaprizov's getting five high danger chances a night, He's creating one of them or one and a half of them on his own. Where if Fiala's getting four, he's creating three and a half of them. So I think that led to a lot of the, I feel like I have to do it on my own. That leads to more turnovers, and it was a a snowball effect in the wrong direction. Oh, Patrick Liney looks like he got hurt tonight. Um, So, uh, you know what was interesting also about the podcast that we listened to, and I shouldn't, you know, it uh, looks like Joe's talking to Fiala on Friday for a big story to advance Saturday's game. But, you know, the one thing that he said about Kaprizov, which I thought found interesting, was he basically said to him, you know, when, when it, it was Elliot Freeman and Jeff Merrick, and he was saying that, that um, you know, why Boldy and him worked. And he's like, for instance, Kaprizov and I did not work because we, want, we both want the puck and it just never meshed. But the reality is that maybe not on the power play, they didn't play a lot of even strength minutes at that all together, but actually on six and fives, those two were dynamic six together. Like people are great. forgetting, like, you But know, they didn't work five on five. Right. Remember there were about three games where Zuccarello was, was yeah. out, and they said, hey, let's throw these two guys together, yeah, and guys like us got excited because, yeah. hey, let's watch these two guys play together. They'd Remember be great six Seattle, on five. Remember it lasted like half a period? It was, and it was brutal. <laughs> yeah, it was hard to watch, man. So it was pretty interesting. I read something interesting the other day, Anthony. According to an article in CNBC, 40% of home sellers surveyed at one point said the experience was so stressful it brought them to tears. I've been through that. Um, Selling and buying a home even outranked the stress of getting fired from work, planning a wedding, lots and lots of stuff. But if you're thinking about buying or selling a home soon, I've got another great share for you. There's now a free real estate hotline. Grab a pen. It's 612-888. 8977. That's 612-888-8977. I know lots of folks are wondering about a real estate crash right now. Whatever questions you might have, the number one real estate team in Minnesota, the Chris Sundahl real estate team, set this up to get your questions answered. 
Chris mentioned it's a part of the team's ongoing efforts to give back their time to the community. So should you bother buying right now? If you got a home, how do you keep your equity versus falling prices and inflation? Will the market crash? These are the biggest questions that you want answered for your family. The folks at KLRE made this free resource to make sure you have answers. The number again for this real estate hotline for Chris Lindahl is 612-888-8977. Call them for free. Again, 612-888-8977. And here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans, Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. New great spot to watch games in the northern suburbs is Moe's at the Ice House. It's at Fogarty Arena. And it's connected. It overlooks the curling rink inside, but they've got great TV setups for you to watch a game. Whether you're up there for a youth tournament, you've got a high school game going on, it's a great place to duck inside. They've got a live stream video from the main arena at Fogarty. So if you're there watching a high school game, intermission, you can sneak over, grab something quick to eat, have a cocktail, go back, watch the rest of the game. It's also a spot where we're going to have the upcoming donkey hockey league fantasy draft they've got great banquet rooms and the menu's solid after this week's draft we'll give a review on the menu next week but check it out if you're up in the northern suburbs it's a great place to hang out and watch a game they'll have wild specials during wild games on tv in there great place and and if you are so inclined you can jump back on the curling rink and give that a shot you have a question Come on up. If you don't ask questions, we're going to have Joe do karaoke. I there we go. I feel like you. Judge Reinhold in Seinfeld. You must be Kramer. <laughs> <Yeah>. I've heard about it. Notice how everyone kind of takes back when they pick yeah. up the mic. Um, yeah. Don't we get too close. So this one's kind of for Russo and Joe. Uh, so coming from, you know, Florida to Minnesota, both of you two know, uh, what's the most difficult part about transitioning from, you know, a well-established organization where you have, you know, your sources, your relationships with management, coaching, players, yeah. uh, and kind of just uprooting all that and starting from the ground up? What's the most difficult aspect of that, do you think? What do you think will be for you? You're probably, well, I mean, that's probably one of those things. The one thing I'll say about Joe, just watching him in the locker room today, um, you know, I felt like I was bringing my little boy into the locker room. I was, like, so excited. But, uh, yeah. but I was, I, you know, the one thing, like, you're, you're, it's not going to be hard for you. Like, uh, like just watching him just go up to every player and having long conversations with them and things like that, I think that's half, half the battle, right? I, I just think that you have to be, you know, I, I've said this before, I always feel like the old man reporter, but there's too many young reporters that just go in the locker room and they just kind of loiter and they don't talk to anybody or they want to just go up to a player with a scrum. And, and Joe is going up to every single player individually with confidence and talking to him. And I think that is half the battle when you have all these established... Uh, and not only that, remember, Joe is showing up, you know, on game one of the season. Not He didn't have a whole training camp to learn these guys and things like that. And I got to think that is a little intimidating. It can be. And I think for me, like, you know, I cover a team for like 10, 11 years and you know, not only every player, but their families, their junior coaches, you, you have recollections. You guys know, like who Fiala played with for how many minutes this game two years ago. Like I would have to come in with a clean sheet and kind of figure that stuff out and research every player and kind of know 
the background and kind of some context that's very important when you cover a game or anything. Uh, but that's the fun part for me too. Like I've known these players in Tampa for such a long time. You've built that relationship with people. And the fun part is building those relationships and getting to know Dean Evison and, and Bill Guerin and getting to know Middleton and Zuccarello and getting to meet Kaprizov and stuff. So I think that's the fun energizing thing for me is to go and be able to go in there with a kind of a fresh set of eyes. Maybe you haven't seen them for like a hundred years in a row, tell a different kind of story, you know, have a different perspective on it. Um, and just get to know them as people, right? And that's, you know, that's the favorite part by being in the locker room again is being able to talk to them and having small talk conversations about John Merrill about Michigan or Hartman about getting engaged in my own personal experience on that or talking to some, you know, Mark Andrew Fleury about guys that we used to, I used to cover and he used to know. So um, the hard part, I think, is institutional knowledge that you don't have until you actually go build that and learn that and take the effort to go do that. Um, the rest of the stuff, I think, is going to be... Um, a lot more fun than anything else. And half, so. half this job is just shooting the breeze with players and just developing relationships. I mean, I mean, like I, I don't know how long I talked to Flurry for today, and none of it was for anything that'll be in print. You know, I mean, I was talking to Flurry today about Phil Kessel for ten minutes. Um, you know, I mean, stuff like that. I think is is very very important to to just do this job right. Um, but you're right when you come to a team um, or change a sport and you don't have those relationships and you have all these established sources. Um, you know, it can be pretty intimidating and you've got to look at it. But the way I always looked at it, like when I got, like the best part of me covering Florida is that I covered so many coaches, so many GMs, and so many different players that you just feel like you now you have this sort of, to use an old term that the kids in the back. Rolodex? Not, uh, you have a Rolodex of numbers and Did you know he used to work like, for the, cover the yeah. Panthers? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Please, yeah. you're going to learn that with the lightning, too. I, every time I walk in the BB&T, whatever the hell it's called yeah. now, there's the pictures on the wall. It's like Russo when he was 12, they're covering it. We'll Everybody see, else the wall, we'll like see the whole, who the makes more references to where they used to work, even though you came a year ago. <laughs> Yeah, I we'll promise see. I won't say t- like we have Tampa with this yeah, happened. This is how they and they won championships. <laughs> this is what they did, but no. Uh, but yeah, it's exciting and it's fun, and obviously it's nerve wracking when you walk into a place where you don't know anybody, right? Or even for me and my wife, and we don't know anybody in the city. Like we're trying to learn, make friends, and build relationships, and figure out where to go to eat, where to go on a date night, where to take our dog, who's gonna watch our dog when we're not here. You know, stuff like that. So I don't know. Uh, that has uh, that didn't work out well for us. We, he took care of Stanley one time, and he came back <laughs> sick. He did. So I'm, I'm screwed then. I'm like, yeah. I don't know why I can't give this yeah. little dog chocolate. I don't know yeah. what's going on there. Like, yeah. Margo calls me up afterwards. She's like, did you give him, like, grapes and chocolate? I'm like, no, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the fun. biggest adjustment, I think, for anybody coming in a new team, other than your whole life stuff, your whole life changes, you know, move your family here, is getting to know the people in the, in the context of the players and their backgrounds. So that way, when I write a story on game two of the season – there's more than just this is what, what happened, this is why, you know. So I think that'll be take some time and maybe have a little bit of patience, but it'll be a lot of fun as the process goes along. Yep. Good answer there, Joe. Don't listen to Anthony. <laughs> You're going to learn what? right away. Every game story be like, Tampa did this tonight. Right. This. Back when I covered the <laughs> lightning. Full disclosure, the reason why I asked Joe to move to Minnesota was to give me a couple road trips off from Anthony just to decompress, <laughs> you know. So, question. Hi there. Um, so my question is, if you had to speculate, who is the player who's going to have a breakout season and why? Well, it's a good question and, and a hard one to answer just because so many guys last year had breakout seasons. So it's, you'd have to be, you know, you can't just say yeah, Harrison it's a, it's, a, or, it's a short list because yeah. most of them broke out already. Yeah. So you got to be looking at guys like Steele, Joe, Spoldy. Rossi. Yeah. I guess you know yeah. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, and to me it's Jordan Greenway. I thought he was so good in the second half last year, but now can he do it for a full season? I thought he matured a ton a year ago. You could just see it in the way he carried himself. 
all, all day, every day, at the rink, at practice, morning skates, around the bus, in the hotel. He just had a different presence. I think we're going to, yeah. assuming that he's healthy and in the lineup, I think we're going to see him have a, I think a he is ready. He is, I was talking to him today. He is tired of getting bagged. He is ready to play. Um, so it's going to be interesting on how, how soon he's just like, I am ready. Medically clear me. Um, he is in sensational shape, too, so you might be right there. Um, question. And again, uh, this is going to be a couple last minutes of the show here. So if you want to ask a question, now's your time to come on up. So this question is for Joe. I read sure. your article about getting acclimated to Minnesota. <clears throat> and I liked it a lot because I uh, recognize a lot of those spots and stuff. So my wife and I are going to Tampa. Okay. It's beginning in November for a wedding. So reverse it back to you. Because these two always talk about going out to eat and where they go out to eat and everything. Where's the one spot you would go if you had one night to go, and where do you go to karaoke? Because my wife sings karaoke. Oh, awesome. I'll have to do that in Minneapolis, too. So you'd be in Tampa or St. Pete or both? Or? In that whole area. We, uh, have, we have one free night. We're going to okay. go catch a Tampa game, either against a bunch of jerks or Buffalo. And then uh, we have one night where we can go out to dinner. So where would you go for dinner? And then if you had a karaoke spot. Okay. Well, awesome. Well, I think... I lived in St. Pete for a lot of the time I was there, and I commuted to Tampa and spent a lot of time in that city. But I would say if you want a really good meal, I would go to, I would go to St. Pete for the night. I would go to do Bo's and Mo's. It's a really good Italian steakhouse. We went there during the playoffs, yeah, right? Who did we go there with? Uh, Arch Staple. Yeah, yeah. Arthur Staple, it's our Rangers really, writer, who we're going to be with tomorrow night. Uh, it's a go. really good spot. Like, better steak than Burns, which people have been to Burns in Tampa. I think it's better steak, better atmosphere, kind of like um, more of a, kind of a, a smaller spot. Um, and then go downtown St. Petersburg. Uh, the beachfront water, the waterfront there is beautiful. All the restaurants and bars. Uh, karaoke spot for me on Thursday night. It's at the Galley in St. Petersburg downtown, right? Um, I'm trying to think of a place. They don't have like a Vegas lounge like place that was seven nights a week, seven days a week, right? They have like, uh, I would say CJ's on the Island. If you want to go to the beach, is a place that does karaoke. They have like, sometimes they have live band karaoke, which is funny. You actually feel like a rock star. Um, they could drown you out. Sometimes That's you sing. Cool. Um, so I think those are the places in St. Pete. I'm trying to think of what else that would be. Depends on what night, what night you're there. But I think overall, I would say Tampa's great, and I love Tampa, but I grew up, I lived in St. Pete for like 15 years, and so I'm more partial towards do a date night there, go to Bowen Moe's, go downtown. There's like 18,000 bars and restaurants. Go to the waterfront. The pier just was put in last year. Uh, walkable. There's like restaurants and like a uh, music playing every night. So I would recommend going to St. Pete. My brother is an attorney, and he's uh, got a, he's bringing about, like 15 clients out to dinner in Tampa and he asked me where to go and I told him the meat market. Oh, and that's, he set yeah. up a private table there and he is, he looked at the menu, he can't, the meat, meat market, market is, is terrific. freaking yeah. Yeah. terrific. We went that's there with, Hyde Park, right? That's yeah. the neighborhood out there? Yeah, yeah Hyde what, Park. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I like at, Eulalia too yeah. in Tampa on the riverfront. The, if you stay in Tampa and go there, it's a very walkable riverfront and Eulalia is a good spot and you can walk up to. The uh, riverfront's awesome. Yeah. It, walking that, it's a great, little like boardwalk basically yeah. down the side of in between the river and downtown Tampa it's terrific it goes right to pretty much University of Tampa question uh, yeah so maybe more for uh, Russo uh, but I'm not sure here so with the salary cap and obviously taking the hit with Suter and uh, Parisi and others coming in how much of that is going to translate into moving these guys up and down from Iowa to Minnesota and trying to manage the cap well, not with, so much with this, salaries. Yeah, not, I mean, they, they're in un, they're in so much better shape than the majority of teams this year because of that Kulikov trade. It's really remarkable. 
Um, and so they've put themselves in a position where currently they have about $3.3 million of cap hit, which if, let's just say there was no injuries the rest of the year and they don't call anybody up and there's no additions and nothing. At the deadline, they're going to be able to, they would be able to add freaking Connor McDavid. I mean, honestly, they have Patrick Kane. Yeah, like you could put you Patrick Kane. I mean, that, like don't think that Bill Guerin is not thinking this. Like I, I think that he wants to see if he could manage. Yeah, like you know, I mean, it's look. They would love. Trust me, he wanted to put Mason Shaw on this team, but he didn't want Mason Shaw just sitting out and eating up eight hundred thousand dollars. Because again, it's a daily cap in the NHL. So the more money you don't spend, the more money you're going to get at the trade deadline. And so right now, that $3.3 million, if you make no more changes, I think Puckpedia had it the other day that the Wild would have $14.5 million of cap space. And what that means is a $14.5 million player at the deadline because there's only about five weeks of the season left. So you're prorating everything. So right now for this year, they don't have to sit there and up and down uh, players right now if they're healthy. Now, if they're healthy after this four-game homestand because they go on a five-game trip and two of those games are in Canada and it's so hard to get guys from United States to Canada and all that stuff, you know it's now easier with the whole vaccination stuff. Like, they're going to bring an extra forward on that trip. But then when they get back, they're going to send that forward down. So, um, you know, right now, at least for this year, they're in uh, good shape. Unless it's – if Greenway's healthy, my guess is then they're not sending that guy down. Because they're going to they're gonna keep Steele and Jost and that right. fourth line yeah. with them. They're not going to send one of those guys yeah. down. No, no. Yeah, that's a good point. So um, – and those guys – well, right now, those guys count. They're on the – I mean, you know – like Jordan Greenway, these guys are not, LT, are, not LATI, yeah, right? So yeah, 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 exactly. That question would be: Do you see them doing something as we get closer to the trade deadline? Depends where they if are. They, if they build know? up the cap, yeah. and, and can do something. Like if they're if they've if they if they like you know you mentioned I think Dumba before. If they're bad, they might trade Dumba. If they have a chance to make a run, they might make a move. I mean, you know, everything really depends on what's going on at that time. It's like people ask me all the time, what are they, who's, who's the odd man out when Greenway comes back? Well, we got to see what's going on with the team. Like, I could tell you right now, I think it's going to be Connor Durer, but if Connor Durer has three goals in the first five games and Greenway is ready to come back in Ottawa, well, now that changes. It's not going to be Durer that comes out. So, you know, we, you know, maybe when Greenway comes back, somebody else is hurt. So that's why a lot of times I reserve answering these questions. Let's see what's going on then. So, you know, come deadline, if this team is you know, second in the NHL and looks like they are a true cup contender and Patrick Kane's going to help. I'm making that name up. Everybody calm down. Let's not have the aggregate. I brought it up. My, it's my fault anyway. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. I would not have even thought of Patrick Kane if it wasn't him for him. So that'd be my mailbag question. I think I'll take yeah. that one. Is that it? No more questions? No more questions? I thought you came here with a list of questions, Greg. Okay. Really? What Joe, Joe is pretty intimidating. I yeah, can, it's, yeah. Exactly. They're all, they're all better bowlers than me over there, I think. So, yeah. So, uh, no more questions. We're, Joe, you have any final thoughts? No, do just, karaoke? Don't no. you want to do karaoke with Anthony on the road? Oh, boy. There's, there's, there's not enough vodka in North America to get me to sing karaoke again. How about Jaeger or Bourbon? No, no, it does. It's, I've, I've uh, had one karaoke experience. It was, Tell us about it. It was 30 years ago. I won a karaoke contest that I didn't know was a contest when I sang. And so I will never sing high. again. I did. I let we. I sang two songs from Greece with a gal that I had met that oh night. My God. <laughs> Please and tell me duets. that. There's got to be video of that somewhere. There's not video. This was 30 years ago. There's got to be video somewhere. You know somewhere. what the best part about the story is? Is that my now wife Margot was there that night. We weren't there together, and I 
And she's like, There's a chance I, I might have been running guy. around the stage with the mic and it's singing. It's all about stage presence. It's all well, about stage presence. And yeah. I knew the words to the song. I still, I don't even remember the gal's name. We never, I never talked to her again after that night. We sang Summer Nights. I went back in the back of the bar with all the buddies I had come with. She came back like two hours later, said, hey, we made the finals. And I didn't even know it was a contest. We went up and sang the song from the end of Greece, the, uh, we, the, you're the one that I want. We sang that, and we won the contest. So we each won 200 bucks, and I spent all of mine by the time bar I tab, left the bar. Yeah. And, but it was, and I've never sang since, and I can't imagine I will. I have a video on my phone right now that I can show everybody here after of you yodeling. I and, did uh, yodel. That, doesn't, yeah. that didn't really count. That, that was, was in one Lucerne, of our, Switzerland. Yeah, and it was, that actually, well, you guys were there that night. It was, that might have been the worst yodeling performance in history. To the point where Michael did post it on Twitter or on some social media. We went up to the stage, and so they've got a... If you have a picture in mind of what a woman who would teach yodeling looks like, <laughs> that's what she looked like. And she would have squished me like a right bug. She, I think she probably weighed 300 pounds. <laughs> oh, man. And... She starts, and she's, no, no, she was like five octaves above me. Yeah. She started, and all these other people, I don't know where they came from, because they were walking around the bar like, hey, you're up, you're up, and it seemed like just random people, but every one of them sounded like they had yodeled before. And all of a sudden, it came to me, and I, let's just say I was a (laughs) couple notches deeper, and so anyway, Michael had posted the the video on social media. I got back and a couple of the, my coworkers were, well, couldn't you at least try? I said, that was me trying. That was my best. That was, <laughs> that was not me just scoffing at the yodeler. That was the best I could do. She was pretty good, but I was not. Yeah, I think I did like, 54 different cities I've seen karaoke in around the world. So everywhere I go, we went from Riga, Latvia to Rome to Calgary to, and I have not done Minneapolis, we're St. Paul We're in the Paul heart yet. of the most stressful playoff series ever. The Lightning had just lost a game the night before, and John Cooper is cracking jokes in the press conference about his karaoke. I mean, you can't even make it up. He saw me in Nashville singing at Wannabe's. Have you ever been that place on the on Broadway? That was a good spot. But uh, where is Wannabe's? Down by Acme. On Broadway, yeah, it's down. You go to Broadway to the right, and it's on the right side next to. Uh, yeah, they have a big stage. I don't and think everything. I ever get past like Honky Tonk uh, Central there. Last question of the show, unless uh, Greg wants to come up. That's we're only reserving it for Greg. So, Joe, what's your go-to karaoke song, and do we get to hear a little bit of it? Wow. I can, uh, I can find the music. Um, it's it evolved over time, I'll tell you that. I think in the beginning it was uh, uh, Jesse's Girl, Living on a Prayer was the early days. Run Around Sue was like an old classic. Uh, more recently it's been, uh, I did Coolio Gangster's Paradise, <laughs> R.I.P., uh, obviously that. Um, Jeez, uh, Green Day Basket Case. Uh, my wife and I do Meat Loaf, I'll Do Anything for Love is our go-to karaoke song, which we had play when we came in for the reception of our wedding. The good part of it, like 13-minute song, which is a very brave to do 13 minutes. But uh, Could you yeah. imagine listening to a 13-minute karaoke song? I'm glad you only if sing it's a good, part of it. If it's good, people will listen, you know? Yeah. Uh, no? Okay. But yeah, those are... So you want to hear him sing karaoke? Brandon's like, you know what? It's time for me to like, wrap yeah, it up. I think the audio board's broken. <laughs> Vegas Lounge will be there at some point, and then uh, hopefully I'll see some wild fans there, kick it with us, and I will be glad to sing for yeah, everybody. Yeah. So. This is uh, 
Like I, like I put in that story, uh, Wild fans are going to love you by the end, of, like much more than me by the end of the uh, by the end of your first year here. I mean, he's got some unbelievable story ideas co cooked up too that I won't give away right now. But even you know, he mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast, which is a true thing that like you know I've written this team so long that sometimes you just like you know. If I'm writing about Spurgeon, it's like, what more can you write? So if you all of a sudden have a different writer's voice in there, so, you know, we have a story next week that he's just, like, right away, I'm like, we can't do the cliched story on this player. And he's like, how about this? And I'm like, let's see if he's up for it. And the guy is up for it. And he's, like, yeah. super excited about it. And and so he, Bridget Joe is going to his house to do this awesome story next week. So, like, that's kind of what I mean. I think people are going to just love the kind of the, the story ideas that Joe comes up with that are very, very unique. Um, that are perfect for covering this sport, too, because these players are always so incredible. Again, October 18th is our next live show. Uh, that is at Elsie's in Northeast Minneapolis. Um, if we're going to get crowds like this, Joe, you might have to come. I know there that's the day you're moving into your apartment. Uh, but, uh, but Anybody want to help? Maybe we'll just publicize that Joe's going to be there just to get the crowd. Um, so, again, thanks to everybody coming. We're going to do the raffle after the show. Thanks to our incredible, incredible sponsors. Obviously, all the Tuttle's restaurants. And thanks to having us here at Split Rocks. We'll be at another Tuttle's restaurants again October 18th at Elsie's. Thanks to Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer for Connecticut for, uh, water treatments. Let's do that again, right? Thanks to Aquarius Home Services, your local <laughs> authorized dealer for Connecticut water treatments. Just a real the quick. number of times Brandon <laughs> has to edit Michael reading the sponsors yeah. is I re ridiculous. I can't, you do read, a, can't you do a text? I should read a text that I sent to Brandon in the middle of me doing uh, one the other day. I was sweating through it. We were at Anthony's dinner table, and it was a freaking cluster F. And uh, I, I sent Brandon a thing. I'm like, you've got to change this. Make sure you edit this. It's an absolute disaster. So there you go. Let's try it again. Thanks to our incredible sponsors, Aquarius uh, Home Services. You're all <laughs> Let's try it again. Holy mother of God. Here, you read it. Yeah, I'll read uh, it. Thank you, everybody. Thanks to our incredible all right, sponsors. Let's let Michael compose yeah. himself. <laughs> Thanks to our Tuttle's, uh, Tuttle's Restaurants. We'll be at Elsie's October 18th. Thanks to Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer for Connecticut Water Treatments, Royal Credit Union, Kowalski's, Chris Sindahl Real Estate, Bosch Law Firm, Moe's, and of course, Green Grain Belt. And uh, we're going to be doing the raffle right now. Thanks to Joe Smith for coming. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much for Thank you, guys, for, for coming out. Like it's your first podcast or something like that. I you know. know. the sponsors. So much coming out, there's nothing going Aquarius, I've only done them like a thousand times, too. Man.